Hello there, this is Mark Bauerlein with another conversation. Before we get to it, a word about one of our sponsors. Located in the foothills of Wyoming's spectacular Wind River Range, Wyoming Catholic College, an accredited four-year Great Books Institution, is built on the ancient Western tradition of the liberal arts and the freedom of the American West. The college offers its students an immersion in the primary sources of the classical tradition, the grandeur of the mountain wilderness, and the spiritual heritage of the Catholic Church. Students experience the illumination of imagination and intellect through the great books and traditional disciplines, literature and philosophy, mathematics and theology, science and Latin, and an outdoor program second to none. The college celebrated an in-person graduation with its seniors last year and welcomed its largest freshman class ever this year. Learn more about the college's unique space in the world of American higher education at wyomingcatholic.edu. Jeremy Skipper joins us today. He is professor of religion at University of Toronto. His many writings include Ruth, a new translation with introduction and commentary, and Parables and Conflict in the Hebrew Bible. He has a new book out uh, entitled Denmark Vesey's Bible, The Thwarted Revolt That Puts Slavery and Scripture on Trial. That is our topic today. Welcome, Professor Skipper. Thanks for having me. Okay. You open with uh, a shocking fact, uh, a little bit. A hanging took place in July uh, 1822 with fully 22 men uh, executed. And in the weeks following, we had many, many more hangings uh, taking place. Just give us... A, a, a general sketch. We'll go into the details, but just give us a general a ske- sketch of of the whole of the whole episode, if if you would, in in the in the general particulars. Yes. So um, the the hangings were in response to um, a alleged uh, insurrection. Uh, at least that's what the, the courts uh, deemed it uh, among enslaved people uh, in Charleston, South Carolina. In 1822, uh, the uh, the plot was thwarted before it could be carried out, but it was allegedly um, it was allegedly spearheaded by a man named Denmark Vesey, who uh, was enslaved at one point, but uh, by 1822 was free. He had bought his freedom after winning a lottery, um, and he organized a massive plot uh, against uh, slaveholders that would involve. Uh, freeing enslaved people and also killing off the uh, enslavers in Charleston, South Carolina. The plot was discovered before it could be carried out, as I mentioned, uh, and uh, VC uh, and uh, five other ringleaders were executed on July 2nd, 1822. So we're coming up on the 200th anniversary of that date. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, there was a mass hanging of 22 other individuals uh, convicted of participation in VC's plot. Um, and uh, by the end of the summer, a total of 35, including VC, uh, were executed uh, in, uh, in uh, response to the plot. Uh, so that, that's sort of just, just a general overview of, uh, of what yeah. this was uh, about. Uh, and, and as you mentioned, Mark, on the first page of the book, I detail uh, all of these uh, dates and the hangings. You know, I bet a lot of our listeners right now were struck by one fact that you mentioned, that Vesey was free. Yeah. He wasn't a slave. He'd no. been 
how long before had he secured his freedom? Years? About, about 22 years. Uh, yeah. Before. He, he actually won the lottery uh, as an enslaved person. Uh, and uh, in uh, 1800, he uh, bought his freedom uh, from his uh, slaveholder. And he had established uh, a thriving carpentry business uh, right. in, the, in, the, uh, in the interim. So about, for about 20 years, he was free uh, and has a thriving uh, carpentry business. Uh, so some of the uh, magistrates at his trial, which I want to be clear, was a show trial. Uh, there was no way he was going to get off the, uh, the, the entire uh, magistrate tour uh, on, on the trial were slaveholders themselves. But uh, during a trial, um, the chief magistrate, a man named Lionel Kennedy was sort of befuddled by saying, like, look, VC, you were relatively economically secure. You were free. Uh, what gives? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and yeah, so that was, uh, you know, that was a factor here. He had been free for over 22 years. Uh, and in fact, it's estimated. We don't know exact, the exact date of his birth, probably somewhere around uh, 1767, uh, which would mean that he was, uh, you know, especially for the time, was relatively elderly. He was 55, estimated, at the time of his, his death yeah. uh, in, uh, yeah. in uh, 1822. So all those factors sort of uh, befuddled uh, the local slaveholding uh, community as to why he would uh, organize this uh, revolt. Two, two factors that you cite there that might have really aggravated his resentment against slavery for life was what happened to him early in his life when he went one place and then he was brought back to another and it was a real change of circumstance. What happened there? Yeah. So, um, so it seems that he was first, um, enslaved, uh, as an adolescent, maybe somewhere around, uh, maybe 14 years old is a, is a good estimate. Uh, and he was, um, sold in the Caribbean, uh, and was enslaved there. Uh, but um, according to the gentleman who bought him, he had epileptic fits, um, which meant that um, the person who uh, purchased him uh, could return him. Uh, so he he was uh, he was initially sold uh, in the in the Caribbean uh, by um, a man named Joseph Vesey. Uh, and then he was returned to Joseph Vesey uh, a matter of months later. Uh, Joseph Vesey then eventually uh, settled in Charleston, South Carolina, and that's sort of how he ended up, uh, uh, how Demar Vesey ended up in South Carolina. And yeah, so that, you know, that experience would certainly have uh, inspired him in terms of uh, planning the revolt. Also remember, you know, in a, in, um, at the turn of the century, the turn of the 19th century, um, Haiti was uh, was uh, in the midst of revolt, and so that you know, so folks have thought that that might have also uh, been an inspiration, given his connections to the Caribbean. Now, also, his children were still slaves, right? Yes, so some of his children uh, were were enslaved, you know, and so I, I think I think what you're getting at, Mark, which I think is absolutely right, is there was sort of a, con- uh, a confluence of factors that uh, contributed to the revolt, you know. Uh, I, I'm sort of thinking about, you know, you, just as you show nicely uh, in your book about the Atlanta riots, you know, it's not just one factor, but a confluence of, uh, of factors. So, you know, um, so folks have talked about, you know, he had 
enslaved family members who, despite his economic prosperity, he didn't have enough money to purchase. Right. Um, you know, it was you know it was a factor of you know, world events. You know, with what was going on in Haiti. Also, uh, he was getting old. Uh, you know, at fifty-five, you know, so maybe a now or never situation. Uh, and also the establishment of the what was called at the time the African Church uh, in the late eighteen teens. Uh, he was he was an active member of that church as well, which was a forerunner for uh, Emmanuel AME Church uh, in Charleston. We'll get to that in, in okay. a moment. I want to ask you about that, that church that started and then it, it stopped uh, yes. before then. it was. But, but we'll, we'll get to that. Let, let me think about the broader context, the social context. Before you, you say the, the, the Haitian Revolution, yeah. that, was, that was still living memory for yes, a lot of people. Good. How much daily fear was there in the South uh, before the VZ case of uprising. Of oh, it was growing. The danger. Absolutely, yeah, it was it was growing. Um, you know, partly because of the uh, the the Haitian Revolution, and it's purported that uh, the plan was that once uh, VZ liberated uh, the enslaved folks around Charleston and massacred the slaveholding population in Charleston, they were going to sell to Haiti. Uh, you know, um, so you know, Haiti was very much uh, on their mind. Also, you know, there, there were other um, factors as, as well. Um, in 1800, in Virginia, there was uh, a revolt planned uh, by an enslaved man named Gabriel, and you had other uh, enslaved uh, revolts planned and some carried out. And of course, you know, uh, um, VC in um, 1822 was nine years before Nat Turner. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in that era, there's very much a fear and a growing fear among slaveholders of uh, of revolt. You know, I, I can't remember, Jeremy, but it did did Matt did, did Nat Turner in that case, did did Vizi come up at all in the testimony or in the I can't remember if I can't remember seeing Vizi's name, but it wouldn't surprise me that Nat Turner had gotten word of of what happened there. Yeah, that, that's a great question. I mean, and, and you're right. You're, you're remembering correctly, at least in Nat Turner's case, in the um, in the testimony and the confession. Um, you know, debatable about you know how much history he wants to play into confession. But yeah. in the confession, there's not really mention of VC. But in um, in the reporting, in the newspaper reporting around that time, occasionally uh, VC comes up in uh, connection to Nat Turner. But it, it's fairly you know, uh, hit or miss in that regard. There wasn't like a really sustained reflection on VC during Nat Turner's uh, time. Now, the, the, the sheer death toll, the yeah. number of hangings, uh, I mean, there, there are a few, few things to ask about. I mean, one, one question to ask is that the case, it's almost remarkable that, that, that it was secret for a long time, for, for as long as it was, but what... I mean, what enabled Vizi to reach others, to persuade them, to, to, to convince them, to, to risk themselves? I mean, you, you, you include a lot of fascinating testimony from some of the others of the, of the powerful effect Vizi had on them. Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, partly just charisma. 
Um, you know, and also he, you know, uh, again, he was um, a free person at the time, uh, and uh, he was learned. He was literate. He spoke multiple languages, uh, and he cites um, at least you know the testimony. There's no direct uh, writings from VC himself, but the testimony uh, from others. Uh, you know, he would uh, he would cite um, not only scripture but also classical literature. You know, so there are references to Aesop's fables, for instance. You know, he would use a variety of authoritative texts uh, mm-hmm. to convince folks. Uh, he also engaged not only um, in Christian texts, uh, but also uh, traditional African religions. He, he, he had folks who were, uh, who were considered uh, experts in traditional African religions and, and, and uh, medicine, uh, who were part of his uh, his some of his lieutenants uh, in the conspiracy? So he used a variety of uh, of means to uh, to persuade uh, folks. Um, what would you say were Vizi's core religious beliefs? That's a great question. Yeah, that that is a great question. Um, it seems that he, you know, again, he was, you know, um, I, I believe he would identify himself as a Christian. We know in 1817, he uh, joined the local Presbyterian church, uh, or one of the local Presbyterian churches. Uh, and then, but then later on, uh, he was identified with the African church, uh, which was a, um, a burgeoning uh, AME uh, congregation. So it very much uh, seemed to... Uh, frame himself within within the Christian tradition and, and and specifically a very textual version of of the Christian tradition so he would cite scripture and you know very detailed uh exegesis and it seems that one of his ways of recruiting folks was uh during church meetings so he was active in his church he led uh he led uh you know when you know Wednesday night studies uh weekday studies I should say and you know and, and was able to frame it very much in terms of a, a religious issue, and um, so I would say he, I would say that he probably uh, saw the revolt as mandated in Scripture, hmm. just like his opponents, the slaveholders, would see the justification of slavery as uh, mandated by Scripture as well. Let's take a break to discuss the annual First Things Intellectual Retreat in the heart of New York City on August nineteenth and twentieth. Participants will join our editors, writers, and fellow readers to discuss death and mourning. In small, tutor-guided seminars, we will ask, along with the philosopher Joseph Pieper, what actually happens when a human being dies? We'll ponder virtuous death with Seneca. We'll weep with Hecuba at Hector's demise and struggle with Polycarp and Sir Gwain to face death courageously. If you'd like to join in this rich conversation, purchase your tickets today at firstthings.com backslash retreat. That's firstthings.com backslash retreat. Uh, you mentioned an important slavery debate within that Presbyterian church in 1815, which you say had, had national uh, uh, implications. Uh, what, what, what was the debate? Yeah, so the debate was over, over slavery. Uh, and and uh, at the... Um at the Presbyterian Convention, um, one uh, a, a, a clergyman from Virginia who was a very outspoken opponent of slavery and was you know, uh, an opponent of slavery for decades to follow as well, 
um, you know, brought up a number of, uh, of texts and said, hey, you know what, if we, if we follow the Westminster Convention, um, confession, um, then uh, slavery should be considered man-stealing, uh, mm-hmm. to use a term from the King James, and uh, should be out. We shouldn't, we shouldn't support that. His position did not win over um, the, his fellow uh, clergyman. In fact, he was defrocked uh, shortly thereafter. But he persisted and uh, published a number of uh, scathing attacks on, on slavery. So it was a live issue. And some of the texts that he cites in, uh, in uh, the 18 teens had become sort of, you know, some of the standard proof texts uh, that VC picked up on as well. Such as Exodus twenty one sixteen. Exactly, exactly. So Exodus twenty one sixteen passage. What what did what did what did that what did that prove to VZ? Yeah. So um so Exodus twenty one sixteen, that's a that's a major one. And I'll just read it really quick uh, from the King James Version, uh, which was a text that was used uh, throughout the trials. Um and Exodus twenty one sixteen says, He that stealeth a man and selleth him or if he be found in his hand, he shall surely be put to death. So Vichy read that text and said, hey, right there, plain as day, uh, in Exodus 21, 16, it says, you know, if you stilleth a man and you selleth him, or if he be found in your hand, in other words, if you purchased him, you should be put to death. So Vichy was like, bam, right there, um, that justifies the revolt. And yeah. the killing of the slaveholders, and so yeah, so that was one of his uh, primary texts, not the only one, but one of the primary texts that he used, uh, and it's cited several times uh, in the trial transcripts by multiple witnesses. Yeah. Now, but before before he he even conceived the plot, Vesey uh, genuinely wanted to confront pro-slavery ministers with biblical evidence against slavery, didn't he? I mean, he really meant it, didn't he? This wasn't just tactical. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it wasn't just opportunistic. Like, he happened to you know, find out about Exodus 21 16. Uh, in fact, there's, uh, there's evidence from um, the trial transcripts and some witnesses that he was, he would debate publicly yeah. some uh, white Charlestonians uh, over slavery. Uh, so, you know, we do have that now. It's uh, you know he didn't reveal his plot, or he didn't talk about your know, text like maybe Exodus twenty one sixteen in public. But you know uh, we do have uh, we do have evidence that he wasn't um, shy or wasn't you know uh, silent about his positions uh, prior to that. So I think that's, that's absolutely right, Mark. He yeah. did you know uh, make you know make public his positions and uh, that they were genuinely held beliefs. They weren't just sort of opportunistic uses of Scripture to recruit. And this really explains the title of your book, where Denmark Vesey is on trial, but also Scripture is on, is on trial. Where does Scripture come down on, on this issue? What, what specifically were the elements of the plot? What did they plan to do? Yeah, so what they planned to do was, anyway, and I'll skip over, I won't get too much into the weeds, but what they planned to do was on a particular night, um, they were going to uh, set fires around Charleston to draw out um, the white slaveholders 
And once they were you know, drawn out, drew them out for saying these fires and were distracted by that, they would uh, massacre the uh, white slaveholding population of, uh, of Charleston. And then, you know, uh, liberate the enslaved population. And again, it seemed like the, the plan was, you know, it, again, there's you know, debates about the details and scope of the plot, uh, but the plan was then to set sail for Haiti. So, you know, it was basically, you know, to, uh, to liberate the enslaved population. And then also based on texts like Exodus 21, 16, uh, to put to death the uh, slaveholding uh, population. What was the Stones River insurrection, and how does it relate to Vesey's case? Yeah, so the, the yeah, so Stones River uh, insurrection that was um, in 1739, and it, you know Stone River was uh, was not that far from uh, from Charleston, and it was a uh, it was a, an insurrection that was uh, brutally suppressed. There were some. Uh, uh, killings of, uh, of, of white folks, but there was a much more uh, uh, retaliation. And after after it was suppressed, legislation was put on the books in 1740 about you know that anyone involved directly or indirectly uh, in plotting or carrying out um, a slave insurrection, enslaved insurrection um, in South Carolina uh, would be put to death. That legislation was was used by the court in seventeen in eighteen twenty two uh, to convict uh, VC. It was seen as a legal precedent uh, to convict uh, VC and his uh, and his associates. Some some had argued that that was a rather obscure. Uh, you, know, you, had, you had to go back a ways uh, to find a legal justification uh, for uh, the executions. But that uh, that uh, legislation in response to uh, the the earlier rebellion uh, was a legal precedent uh, used uh, against VC. Uh, let's go back to that point. What was the what was the African Church in in Charleston? The yeah, one that only lasted a few years. What was that about? the The African Church was a church body organized in the late eighteen teens, and the founders of the African Church uh, had visited Philadelphia. And uh, talked to the um, the AME leaders who had established uh, the church uh, in Philadelphia um, in the 1790s, and it was the first uh, Southern uh, congregation that would be a forerunner for uh, for Emmanuel AME, uh, which was the uh, for our listeners if if they don't know, AME is African Methodist Episcopal. Right. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yes. Um, okay. Yeah. The name of the denomination, and and you might the listeners might be familiar with uh, Emmanuel AME because that was the uh, the location of the massacre in 2015 when the there's a shooting after the Bible study at the Wednesday Bible study, and that that church Emmanuel AME Emmanuel Methodist African Methodist Episcopal Church, the African Church was the forerunner, I should say. Of, of that congregation in Charleston, so that that congregation, um, although it had been, you know, uh, the the buildings had been raised after the uh, the VC incident, uh, the congregation uh, continued in various forms uh, to this day. It's still a very active church uh, to this day. Uh, yeah. But the African Church was uh, was a congregation that VC was very active in, and again led um, weekday studies at night, uh, yeah. which seemed to also. Uh, provide a uh, means of uh, recruitment and spreading the word of the, the revolt in a setting that uh, white, white uh, 
overseers wouldn't necessarily uh, be privy to. You, you go into detail in the trial, the proceedings, the witnesses, the prosecution, and I'll, I'll, I'll jump ahead in, in, in our last few minutes here. Um, one thing that, that struck me was that Beasy himself was involved in questioning witnesses for the prosecution, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah, he was. Um, although we don't, you know, um, I think this is, you know, I think this is intentional on um, on the folks who prepared the publication for publication, uh, the the trial documents. Uh, they did not uh, actually record his his cross examination or any testimony he may have given. You know, they left that out. Uh, it would be great if we had access to that, uh, but I think it was you know, a a convenient and intentional omission on uh, on their part. Uh, but 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 there is no uh, indirect references to his his statements made at the trial and uh, cross examination of of witnesses. Uh, although again, we don't have the direct transcripts as we do in other cases. Some of the witnesses, some of the accused, were acquitted, right? Yes, yes. It wasn't just they didn't just everyone goes. Some of the accused were acquitted. On what basis were were those were those individuals acquitted? Yeah, so according to the trial transcripts, um, a lot of it was just lack of evidence. Uh, you know, th- there were many more arrests than there were uh, convictions, and usually, at least at least the state the, the stated reason in, in the uh, trial documents was uh, a lack of evidence, um, which you know could be spun uh, by the magistrates as saying they like, look, we are objective, even though again it was a complete show trial. Uh, you're saying, hey, you know, we didn't just like you know uh, convict everyone. You know, there were over 100 people arrested and 35 people hung. Uh, and some people were convicted, but their, their sentence wasn't death. It was expulsion from, from the state hmm. on penalty of death if they returned. Uh, so, you know, the, um, so the, the general reason is lack of evidence, which, again, could be spun as, you know, we are being objective, even if they totally weren't, but we were being objective in our, uh, in our uh, trials. Yeah. One of the figures you profile is Benjamin Morgan Palmer, and you actually credit him with seeking to, quote, unearth the root causes of Beasley's yeah. plot. What did he find? What did he think? Yeah, so uh, you know, um, what he found and what he think might be, too, you know, might be somewhat related, you know, in a sense. Um, so uh, Benjamin Palmer, which, by the way, his, uh, his son, by the same name, is much more, uh, much more famous, and he was a... He, he had a son who was a very uh, famous segregationist uh, uh, minister um, in Charleston at the time of the Civil War. So, you know, if folks are familiar with the name Benjamin Palmer, they're probably actually not familiar with the Benjamin Palmer of, of this trial. Um, but so what he did, he said, hey, you know, we, we can find the root cause of the uh, revolt in the moral failings or uh, moral lapses or laxity uh, among the white community. Hmm. Uh, so we should search out what we did uh, that brought on this uh, revolt. Um, so he looked at like the issues of, you know, of, uh, of drinking, for instance, hmm. uh, you know, uh, um, and issues of you know, social um, policies, uh, even issues of uh, dress codes uh, applied to enslaved folks. Interestingly, what he does then is uphold uh, what I refer to as a myth that you know the root cause could still be controlled by the behavior of the white community. 
It wasn't that the most obvious reason, it wasn't that, according to him, the enslaved folks did not want to be enslaved anymore. It wasn't that that reason, but rather that, you know, the white people could still maintain their control if they reformed their own behavior. Right. Um, And that, again, you know, maybe would be reassuring to a rather shook community uh, who was worried about future uprisings. Last question. Sure. Did the case of Vesey put paternalistic arguments for slavery, for slavery pretty strongly on the defensive for quite a while? Yes, yes. So that, that was especially in relation to a gentleman named Richard Furman. One of the, uh, the reasons that the paternalistic arguments for slavery were put on trial, put on trial metaphorically, uh, was that uh, they thought, hey, you know, uh, we had been too lax in our behavior towards our enslaved folks. Um, so the white, you know, the white folks say, hey, you know what, we, we let them get away with too much. We gave them too much rope, so to speak. And, you know, and that, you know, they said, hey, well, you know, we've had this paternalistic attitude and maybe we should not view them so much as, as family, uh, but rather as folks that need more control. So definitely put, uh, put that argument on, uh, on the defensive, absolutely. There were responses to that, you know, but it definitely put it on the, on the defensive. The book is Denmark Vesey's Bible, The Thwarted Revolt That Puts Slavery and Scripture on Trial. Professor Skippers, thank you for joining us. Thank you. And thank you for listening to our conversation, which has been supported by Wyoming Catholic College, which combines great books, the Catholic tradition, and the great outdoors of the American West into an extraordinary education. Go to wyomingcatholic.edu or contact the admissions office at 877 332 2930.